What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Jesse Strauss. It is Pride Month, and we're spending intentional time this month as we do every month tracking movement for queer liberation and the legislative processes that try to muzzle the rights of our queer families. Today we're staying here in Berkeley. I've come about a mile up the road from KPFA's headquarters to the Berkeley Free Clinic, which has been a radical volunteer health collective and a Berkeley institution providing dental and medical care, peer counseling, and community referrals since 1969, when a group of community members formed a street medic collective to care for protesters injured by UC Berkeley police during the People's Park riots. I came here to the clinic today to spend some time with folks specifically from the Gay Men's Health Collective, one of the many groups providing healthcare resources within the clinic. The Gay Men's Health Collective was formed in the mid-70s to provide non-judgmental sexual health care to men in a context where the all-volunteer group providing those services were also men who had sex with men. This conversation is also personal for me. I'm excited to explore the work of the clinic partially so we can learn together about the resources provided and its history It's also a way of introducing myself to those of you listeners who don't know me. We're here at the clinic now. It's a place I haven't been in a while, but also somewhere I spent time as a kid doing my homework or using it as home base while wandering Telegraph while my dad volunteered here at the clinic. My dad, who passed about a year and a half ago after a 20-year cancer battle, was one of the co-founders of the Gay Men's Health Collective in the early 1970s, And he supported the group as a volunteer member and then later as the volunteer medical director of the whole Berkeley Free Clinic for decades. It's really nice to be back here. I'm a guest here today with three of the folks behind the Gay Men's Health Collective. Cam Breslin has been a medic at the Gay Men's Health Collective since 2022. Scott Carroll has been here since 1993. And John Day has been involved in the clinic as a co-founder, along with my dad, since 1976. I'd like to start with some introductions. How did you each get involved in the Gay Men's Health Collective? John, maybe we can start with you. Uh, I came to the clinic for services uh, because I had something going on with my genitals. And uh, I'd been to a number of doctors and uh, not getting any resolution. And I was seen by a medic, your dad, Fred, and it was a really good session, really thorough, and Fred was able to identify the organism that was involved and uh, treated me for it. That was successful. So I went back and I talked with him and I said, you know, I'd been to all these doctors that didn't have a clue what was going on. And he said, well, if you don't see it, you know, it doesn't come on up on the radar, and it's you know in the gay community. So, I was really impressed, thankful, and I went away and returned and said, "We need to start doing something about this." And Fred had kind of a laid-back way of saying, "Let's do it," <laughs> and we advertised and started a game and self collective. So before we get to Scott and Cam, I also just want to ask, like looking back, we're talking about the mid 1970s. This is before HIV and AIDS hit. Why did it feel so important specifically to create 
support for sexual health for gay men provided by gay men in comparison to what services were available at the time? You know, people were afraid to talk to their doctors openly about kinds of exposure they might be having. They also were scared about being labeled at a time when people were still being let go from work, kicked out of the military, those kind of things. So to have a safe space to come and be with people that are non-judgmental and competent uh, was important. And at the very onset, at the beginning of the clinic, what were the first types of services and support? Obviously, it's developed a little bit in the past almost 50 years, but what did it look like at the very beginning? We put out the word that we were going to start a gay men's clinic and asked for volunteers, and people showed up, quite a few. We put a lot lot of energy into making a a safe space to come in and feel that you weren't going to get in trouble. You know, people were still being uh, arrested for tea-rooming and uh, having sex in semi-public places, that kind of thing. It was hard to meet people that you could trust, except if a few places like bars, that kind of thing. And what kind of what kind of people were like? Who were the people who came in for services once you guys opened? One of the first places you did testing too was over at the Pacific Center, right? Which was the LGBT center on Telegraph. Telegraph. Right. And what was that like when you guys provided? Did you have a lot of people asking for services when you went? Yeah, we did. It was a safe space that had already been claimed as a safe place to go. And it was, uh, so we're going into a a place where the very fact that we were there meant that people trusted us. And what were the other places that you started doing testing at that time, early on in the GMHC? Oh, boy. Uh, We were testing down at Steamworks, which is a big spot. Which is the gay bathhouse here in Berkeley. Yeah. All right, so before we get too much deeper, which I do want to do, You've been hearing the voice of Scott Carroll, who's another volunteer member of the collective since 1993. Scott, can you bring us into your introduction to the clinic? Sure. I actually, I had an HIV scare in 1993 um, and uh, needed a place to get tested. And a friend of mine says, you should go to the Berkeley Free Clinic on Sundays. It's all gay. And you might meet someone nice in the lobby, too. (laughs) So, Uh and I went and... uh, I had seen an ad in the Daily Cal. This was back before internet and everything. And so I saw an ad in the Daily Cal saying the Gay Men's Health Collective was looking for volunteers and that they'd be starting a training to train people how to be medics at the Gay Men's Health Collective. And so I was here for my testing, and there were cute people in the lobby. Um, Didn't get a date. Um, But I thought, well, you know, this is a place that I could volunteer. And the staff was super nice. And so John actually was drawing my blood for my HIV test. And I said to him, uh, I saw an ad in the Daily Cal about a training coming up. And he says, go talk to Sam. (laughs) And he sent me up to the front window, and I talked to Sam Price, who was our coordinator at the time. And he said, yeah, there's a training starting next week. And within a week, I was actually in this very room that we're in right now here at the clinic uh, called the Pillow Room, and we started a training in 1993. 
and there were about seven of us, I think, in the training, and I think about six of us made it through. Um, one of the guys in the training went on to run HIV testing programs for the uh, city and county of San Francisco. Um, uh, another one is an emergency room doctor in New York City, and I'm I'm the only one other than <laughs> I'm the only one still here at the clinic, um, uh, volunteering at the clinic. But it was a fantastic experience, and I had my background was in um, photography and writing, and nothing to do with health stuff. So it was a completely new thing for me. And it was really just part of the inspiration of coming in and getting good care and, the first time. And meeting really nice people and seeing that it was community. It wasn't just a, you know, clinic like when you go to your doctor's office. It was a place where you felt like you were surrounded by people that really cared about not just you, but cared about each other and that it was a kind of a family feeling. And let's move on to Kim. Kim, you've been involved in the clinic for a lot shorter than these other guys. That's correct. Can you, yeah, can you tell us about just like how you got introduced to the clinic and what's been, what your initial reaction and interaction with the clinic was and then what it's been like as a newer member? For sure. Yeah, I'm unique uh, in the medics for the Gay Men's Health Collective in that I don't have a day job in healthcare, nor do I aspire to go into healthcare. I just enjoy talking to people about their sexual health. <laughs> and so I was looking for volunteer opportunities in the Bay Area and had always heard of the Berkeley Free Clinic. My mom was actually a, a client of the Berkeley Free Clinic in the 70s when she was studying at California College of Arts. And she always kind of talked about it and the care she received here. And so it was always on my radar and found this volunteer opportunity where I get to create a safe space for people to feel um, kind of heard and not judged about um, their sexual practices and, you know, felt that really was thrilled to find this opportunity. And so, um, yeah, I got involved in 2022, which is the GMHC, the Gay Men's Health Collective, was still kind of building back after closing um, its doors and going virtual during COVID. And so I've been very involved in the process of or um, building us back up. So we just finished, um, you know, selecting a new round of trainees for medics, getting them fully trained. Um, and then, you know, we're, we're slowly, slowly building back up to be able to offer more and more in-person in services on Sunday nights. So before we get back into some more of the history of it, which I'm excited to do a little bit more, I'm wondering, Cam, if you can just talk a little bit about how you learned about some of the history of the clinic and what pieces of that got you excited to be involved in on a regular basis for sure yeah it was through our our training to become a medic as the at the gay men's health collective it's actually the first day of training it was by scott carroll sitting here in this room he gave us you know both like a really fantastic training on um gay and queer history um spanning to from the bc times <laughs> all the way to the present day and as well as a history of the the clinic itself and kind of built into our training of the gay men's health collective is the importance of learning our history both as a collective and our history as well as a community as a queer community there's truth to the fact that the clinic was uh there were precursors of the clinic that were involved with the uh 
the protests and providing street medicine stuff around the protests and helping with the people who were tear gassed and getting the, the gas out of their eyes and stuff. But the clinic actually started by three women in the School of Social Welfare at UC Berkeley. And it was a woman named Anne, whose last name I haven't, I've forgotten, it starts with H. Um, and we haven't been able to track her down. A woman named uh, Susan Katie McAllister, who at that time was Susan Katie. Um, and she married a man named Chuck McAllister, who was actually a Korean War um, uh, veteran uh, medic, um, who actually did a lot of the street medicking in the area at that time. And, uh, and then Ellen Coteen was the other co-founder. And so Ellen, Anne, and Susan um, started a project as part of their community organizing program at uh, the School of Social Welfare, where they surveyed the community to find out what the needs were. The community, it was clear, all the young people coming to Berkeley in the 60s didn't have services for medical needs, and they were being rejected from the ERs and other places where they'd like to get medical services but couldn't. And so they started the Berkeley Free Clinic on May 25th, uh, 1969, in a little um, building that's now a, I think it's a Zen Center on Parker Street. And we've been in this building since 1970. So that's great history of the of the Free Clinic itself. Let's dive in a little bit more to the Gay Men's Health Collective, because I know that you're one of the folks who's training on the history, and so you know all of it, Scott. But one of the things that I'm really intrigued by is the ability to step in to specifically support men having sex with men before HIV and AIDS hit and being a resource that was already there and prepped. I mean, of course, no one was really prepped to deal with HIV and AIDS, but it was a resource that, of course, was going to be used in that way to support that crisis. Yeah. And it's interesting going through the archives that we have of old um, records of the clinic. There were people doing gay services before the Gay Men's Health Collective, um, but here at the Berkeley Free Clinic, uh, but it wasn't an official program. It was like someone queer doing some of that services. Um, in 1969, when John and Fred got together and decided to start the program, um, they weren't following any kind of game plan that anyone else had set out. Um, and it's it's pretty cool that these programs started spontaneously in different parts of the country. So in New York City, a gay clinic started, two gay clinics started up in New York City. Um, and in Washington, D.C., later on in the 70s, uh, programs started up uh, in Washington, D.C., um, in, in Chicago as well, in Boston. Um, so these gay clinics start out, but we're, as far as we know, we're one of the first, if not the first. And it wasn't, again, any kind of coordinated program. It was about need, and it was about community, and people seeing we don't get the care we need when we go to our doctors or we don't feel comfortable talking about having anal sex or sex, you know, where we're getting a penis in our throat um, uh, at our doctor's office. And so there was that need of having a place where you could feel like you were talking to someone who knew what you were doing without feeling like you were being judged when you're coming in. And then let's fast forward just a little bit to when HIV and AIDS did hit, right? And judgment was uh, explosive around HIV and AIDS. Yeah. The gay plague um, was a common term at the beginning, and that's part of the reason it didn't get any, you know, 
government attention was because people didn't want to focus on something that was in a marginalized community that they didn't care about or that was convenient to marginalize more for political reasons. Before HIV, there were still there was still a lot of STIs that we were seeing that were at higher levels in the queer community. And so hepatitis, um, and this is before the hepatitis vaccinations for hepatitis B and A. Um, so hepatitis was a real issue in the community. Herpes was a issue in the community, gonorrhea, chlamydia, syphilis. So those were all issues that were already seeing, uh, being seen in higher prevalence in the queer community. And we were seeing, seeing our services in high demand by gay people early on when John and Fred started it. And we're continuing to see that now. But when HIV hit, there were so few resources out there. Like We didn't know what was safe. We didn't know what is safe sex um, at the very beginning. We didn't know how it was being transmitted exactly. We didn't know if it was associated with things that people were using in a, in the sexual environment like poppers. So there was a lot of time where we were really kind of in a period where you're moving in the dark. You don't you don't know exactly what's safe and what isn't. But we knew that if it's anything like STIs, that we had some really good things at preventing STIs in terms of condom use and practices that would have lower risk of transmission. So um, that was part of the early work that the Gay Men's Health Collective was doing around HIV stuff was just making sure that people were keeping the STIs in check and trying to do the things that would prevent STIs. And we continued doing testing at the the bathhouse here in Berkeley. Um, and I think John said before that that's probably one of the reasons that the bathhouse was allowed to continue to stay open because of the work that was being done in terms of us being there on a regular basis doing testing and education and all of that. And how was it for you, John, early in the HIV epidemic here? And how was it with HIV among the the volunteers uh, early on in the epidemic? What was the experience that you guys had with HIV personally? I think a lot of people were afraid, especially during the period that we didn't know exactly how it was being transmitted. But that's also true of people in the healthcare system generally. Uh, my position was if you want to be in healthcare, you need to get over it. And it, I know that is the most helpful, helpful thing to say. But each epidemic we've had in this country, there have been people who ran the other way, ran away from it. And I can understand being afraid, and especially if you have families and that kind of thing, when we didn't know how it was transmitted. But at the same time, if you're going to go into healthcare, it's your job to step up and be there. And the Gay Men's Health Collective has done that in really incredible ways. To catch listeners up who might have just tuned in, I'm Jesse Strauss in conversation with Cam Breslin, Scott Carroll, and John Day about the history and work of the Gay Men's Health Collective at the Berkeley Free Clinic, which has been a community sexual health resource run by men who have sex with men since its founding in 1976. Two of the founders were John Day, who's one of our guests today, along with my dad, Fred Strauss. I'm wondering for any of you, how does the clinic now specifically support people who are dealing with either AIDS and HIV scares or symptoms? 
Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so for, we're, again, we're, we're very well trained on um, HIV testing and then particularly HIV counseling as well. Um, we're all trained on how to disclose a positive result if that is what happens and the kind of different strategies and supportive ways that you can do something like that. Um, and while we don't provide um, HIV um, treatment ourselves, we assist in, you know, when we do have positive cases, we now assist in linking um, those clients to appropriate care and really following through and making sure that those clients don't um, fall through it, through the crack and um, have their back until they're in somebody else's care. And it's interesting. I, I do a lot of phlebotomy here at the clinic and have for years. And it's interesting how many people we see who are HIV positive, know they're positive, and they come here for STI screening because they feel more comfortable coming here. Um, I, And I think there are also some people who come here because it was where they were going before they tested positive, and so it's a place they've got a history. Um, uh, so that's that's nice to feel like we're that a good we're a good resource that way. Um, it also sometimes concerns me though, thinking how can we make their healthcare experience where they're going more mm. comfortable. Um, the other thing is though too, we're a week weekend and evening clinic, so people come here too because we're after work and they're not having to ask for time off or to um, take time out of work uh, and and lose money by coming in to do that. Can we talk some about some of the things that make the Gay Men's Health Collective very welcoming for folks? I know that some of the principles here are co a collective that is part of the structure, and another piece is that it's all volunteer-run. The people actually providing services and care are not medical doctors. I'm wondering if we can like dive into those two streams a little bit. Yeah. So our model here is unique among free clinics in the state of California, um, where we have community members that are trained to do the majority of the services, the direct services, under the supervision of people who are licensed physicians. And so the physicians will be there for consulting and uh, also for signing off on the charts and making sure that the steps that we're doing are appropriate for our, our protocols. Um, but the service provision is a community member that's just like like me or like Cam or like John. And so when people come in, you feel like, oh, I'm I'm not seeing someone who's, uh, uh, you know, a big social distance away from mm -hmm. where I am uh, in the community. And it, it feels like you're being there with someone who cares. Um, uh, I was going to say give us something. Um, but <laughs> someone who really cares and they're, you know they care because they're not being paid to be there and they're taking their weekend to be there and help you. So um, that's one of the big differences. Yeah, I'd also share that when picking medics, we pick folks who are, who exhibit characteristics of being welcoming, non-judgmental, and sex positive. Those are the things that we're really looking for. Um, and so it's, we're, creating exactly the environment that that Scott is is mentioning by by picking those sorts of people and intentionally training them in a way that um, people feel safe here. Does that mean that you also have to be involved in turning folks down who are interested in being a part of the collective? What does that look like? Absolutely. Yeah, we we 
accept applications and we decide basically we interview a lot of folks based on their based on their written applications and then um, sometimes from those interviews and those interviews are aimed at um, kind of their situational or their uh, case studies and it's just kind of looking to see what someone's nature is and when faced with um, you know like you have a client here who you've seen them a hundred times and they just keep coming back and they just keep, um, you know, testing positive for, for this STI, you know, like, what do you do? And, you know, that weeds out folks that are, um, their immediate reaction is to project shame onto that person or to, um, you know, like really come down hard on that person instead we're looking for people who are willing to meet people where they are and to provide services and you know basically the harm reduction model and to be able to provide services that we can when we can and then in a way that we hope that they'll come back and continue to get treated with us and continue to get tested with us and our our training process too doesn't end with just like accepting them in isn't just at the very beginning we're we're evaluating them throughout the thing to see how they interact with each other. How do they, you know, how do they show leadership skills within the group? Are they going to be the people that step up when the toilet's plugged and say, I'll help you unplug the toilet versus the people are like, that's something I'm not willing to do. I don't touch toilets. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So we really look for people who are going to commit to being about keeping the whole organization running and not just trying to get their letter of recommendation for going to med school. Absolutely. That's huge. And many folks who do get involved and go through the training process do get inspired to either stick around like Scott, you and John, you have stuck around for quite a long time now. Some people also do it as get inspired by the process and move on to, like you were saying, Scott, with some of the folks you were trained with, entire medical careers. That was also, of course, the case with my dad. But yeah, can you just talk a little bit about how people sometimes come through the free clinic and come through the Gay Men's Health Collective and take that as part of the groundwork for how they, I'm sure it impacts how they interact with patients in the future, but also how it inspires them to provide medicine? Yeah. It's uh, your dad's case, I think, is an interesting case because your dad told me that, um, so he was volunteering here, and he was a teacher at the time, and he was a math teacher. Is that right? Berkeley Middle Schools. Yeah. yeah. And um, he then started volunteering here and seeing that he actually really liked the stuff he was doing. But then once he started medical school, I don't think he liked medical school as much as he liked volunteering here at the clinic. It didn't really kind of match up to what he was experiencing here and you're nodding (laughs) that's the very much the case with my father yeah Yeah. and then it was so that was great for us because it meant he was going to come back and (laughs) and continue to help us out um and he's and he went to medical school locally um so uh that's i think for a lot of people they have this experience here it's really rich in terms of connecting with community and having the creativity and the and the the ability to say, I'm going to start a new program, I'm going to create something new, or I'm going to do a new type of outreach. And that's the type of thing that I think people really love when they get as deeply involved as your dad and others have here at the clinic. Um, and I think that sometimes can be hard to match when they go off to medical school. That said, there are a lot of people who come here as community members thinking that they have no interest in going to medical school, myself 
uh, included. And I have a master's in public health now, but that's really entirely from starting to volunteer here. And I was working in film and television and, um, and just because I had a flexible schedule in that program, in that work, I was able to get on community advisory boards and stuff like that for things that would reach out to the clinic saying, Hey, do you have anyone in the gay men's health collective who could, uh, you know, attend this vaccine development, this HIV vaccine development, um, community advisory board. And that then led to more and more work in HIV. And now I've had, uh, a, a career working in HIV. And, uh, so no plan of going into into health stuff, but being sucked in by this organization. Um, and, and I'm really happy I'm doing it. Yeah. I don't know. Are you having, Cam, are you having more thoughts about medical school mm. or nursing or anything? No, absolutely the not. The pressure is on. <laughs> no, absolutely not. No. Yeah. I also, uh, did not come in with any interest in going into, to medicine, but, um, or to healthcare at all. But, um, this definitely has, it scratches the itch for me of being able to be involved in the healthcare world and setting and to provide direct services to clients without having to go to medical school. Yeah. And um, no, I don't, I don't think I'll be uh, going to med school anytime soon. Um, and we have a lot of people who've come through the Gay Men's Health Collective and gone into nursing, gone correct. into public health. Yeah gone into being physicians, um, into DO programs. Um, so just a ton of different things. Um, but, uh, the ones that tend to stick around the longest, um, are the ones that are community members doing something else locally. And, and this is their side fun volunteer project. Yeah. So shout out to community members yeah. who want to find a way to get involved and maybe aren't interested in, you know, a career in the healthcare setting, but then are just looking for a way or, you know, queer community members that are looking for a way to, to, to give back to their community yeah. and to offer these sorts of services. And like your dad, we actually have a guy who was a volunteer in the GMHC before going to medical school. Actually, maybe he was just starting into medical school. Anyway, he's back now. He's an ear doctor locally, and he comes in and volunteers on Sundays. And so we do have people who come back too. And that's always, that's really great for us. Yeah. That's great. And since you mentioned it, Kim, we'll come back to the conversation in a second. But if there's folks listening who want to get involved and who have not been familiar with the clinic, the the whole clinic or the Gay Men's Health Collective itself, how what's the process for folks to get involved? Sure. Yeah. So right now there are um, kind of two ways to to volunteer with the Gay Men's Health Collective. We The one that's always open is to be one of our administrative volunteers, which is a great way to just get into the work right off the bat. And that is being here on Sunday nights during our shift and kind of like working the front door and getting really familiar with our electronic health record system, preparing um, all of our charts and stickers for each client we see and kind of helping with the flow of our shift and welcoming clients in prepping them and then handing them off to the medic that'll eventually see them. So if anybody's interested in doing that, they should definitely reach out. Um, our email address is cords underscore GMHC 
at berkeleyfreeclinic.org. Um, and then we once about once a year we hold uh, we open applications and then we open we we form a cohort that will go through the training uh, that will most likely be in January or February of 2024 is the next time that we will accept a cohort. Um, and so a great way to get involved right now is to administrative volunteer and just know that um, down the line that'll really set you up well to to be a medic um, with us as well and to actually see the clients and be the one in the room conducting the appointment and and providing the services itself. Yeah, and people can always come in too as a client. Yeah, I think that's a great way to see what the services are like for and see sure. how it fits for you is come in and get a, you can get a routine. Get a, come get a routine screening, everyone. Yeah. yeah. So are there any specific qualifications needed? Is, is anyone eligible to, to come and join and support the Gay Men's Health Collective? Well, for the Gay Men's Health Collective, we are particularly looking for queer members of the community and particularly uh, male-identified individuals. Um, and so um, that's really the only requirement, plus being over 18 years old, something like that. <laughs> yeah, and we've had exceptions in the past with folks who are younger, but um, f those are folks who would be helping up in the administrative area and stuff, not doing the appointments. That's right. And just if folks are interested in learning more about opportunities at the clinic in general, beyond just the Gay Men's Health Collective, where can people find those resources? On and, our website, berkeleyfreeclinic.org. And there's a whole page on volunteering. And um, and I'll say too, if people have to do community service hours, <laughs> we'll... Uh, they can come on by the Berkeley Free Clinic and 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 leave me a note um, that we're we're willing to help people with community service hours. Most of our programs, there's the application process where you have to apply, and you get screened in. If you don't get accepted, you can apply to another section, and we expect at least a year commitment after the training, because we put so much work into people during the training that we really need people to stick around for at least a year. And so we have a policy, if you're doing this for a letter of recommendation or something, that you have to be here for at least a year. For folks who are just in the community and want to help out and don't necessarily feel like they want to do direct service provision, but want to help out with, you know, keeping our IT running, um, doing things to keep the facility in shape, um, helping us with supply um coordination and stuff like that fundraising fundraising they can uh they can write to info at berkeleyfreeclinic.org and say that they're interested in volunteering just in general and that would be a way of getting uh connected to the organization so one thing that was just very hastily mentioned is fundraising. <laughs> I'm wondering if we can talk a little bit about what it takes to keep the clinic going. And this, of course, is part of the clinic in general, Gay Men's Health Collective functions within that. But what's it been like structurally and financially? We're almost 50 years into the Gay Men's Health Collective to keep it going. Yeah. And and when we talk about the services that we do, we're one of the areas that is accessible for people getting syphilis treatment. And syphilis treatment is incredibly expensive. And syphilis treatment right now is, uh, they're, sh they're expecting shortages of Bicel in LA, which is the treatment that we use for syphilis. We get, right now, we get donated um, about $60,000 worth of syphilis treatment every year through an organization called Direct Relief. And they're a nonprofit that uh, 
gets manufacturers to contribute product to organizations like ours. If we weren't getting that, we would be paying out of pocket $60,000 every year for treating the number of people that we need to treat for syphilis. Um, it's about, I think it's about $1,000 a shot, I think. Um, and uh, I could be wrong on that number, but it is expensive. <laughs> um, and we get in-kind donations of other products. We do some of like our, we do HP, um, HPV vaccinations with Gardasil. And through the manufacturer, we're able to get the Gardasil through a, a community assistance program for people who are low income. For the ones that don't qualify for that, um, we're looking at paying for that. And so it can be very expensive for that vaccine. I think that's in the $300, $400 range per shot. And it's a three-shot deal, I think. And then there are other things that are very cheap. So um, like a syphilis test costs us about $8, I think, to run. So that's on the less expensive end of things. So doing routine screening for folks is cheap, but doing the treatment can be more expensive. Some of the more advanced HIV testing and stuff like that is is expensive as well. Well, and can we also just talk about where we get funding from? Yeah. I know you talked about some donations, which of, uh, of, of supplies and services are really important. Yes. Where is funding coming from in order to pay for some of the certainly costs of materials, but also costs of keeping a building going. Yeah, and and the laboratory costs because we have to send out all these labs. And so we have, I'm not, I don't have the number off the top of my head, but we get, I think it's about $50,000 every year from the city of Berkeley for running laboratories. And that covers a fraction of our laboratory costs. Um, then we do fundraising, general fundraising in the community for the co covering the, the, the remainder. Um, we, uh, for our rent, we actually have a really great deal with the church. So in our current space, we're paying about, um, $2,000 a month for about 7,700 square feet. So that's really good rent for a commercial space. But as you can see, it's kind of, it kind of looks like a college radio station. Um, there's lots of stuff on the walls. It's falling apart the paint doesn't match, um, from room to room. Uh, but, uh, it's a, it's a comfortable space. We're going to be moving into a new space, um, uh, at 830 university that used to be the city of Ber Berkeley's, uh, clinic. And, uh, so we're working with the city of Berkeley and some architects to try and get a lease and get that space ready for us. And that's going to be a huge jump up though for us because we're having to move our dental services to a building that is not built out for dental. So we're going to have to do an entire build out down there to get our dental services down there. This building where we currently are is, um, it's in the basement of Trinity Methodist Church. They've been fantastic with us, um, but the building is literally falling apart uh, around us. And I've been hearing about a potential move of the Berkeley Free Clinic for <laughs> at least at least 20 years, mm. I think. Um, I started in 1993, and I remember that in meetings in 1993. <laughs> so we're at least 30 years into the conversation. But we're, we're actually going to do it. <laughs> so do, we, do we have any timeline? We are. So there is actually a draft lease, and the lease we're working on um, with the city of Berkeley, it's going to be a partnership space. Um, with a lifelong clinic, um, uh, specifically their trust clinic. 
and uh, it's going to be a great space. They're going to be operating in the day, providing services to unhoused population, and we're going to be operating evenings and weekends um, for the populations that we serve. So people who are unhoused, but also people who are underinsured or uninsured, uh, people who may have insurance, but they can't afford their copays or they can't afford, to, like I said earlier, take time off to go to their physician during the day. The draft lease we hope to have through soon, and then we have to do some architectural improvements to the building to allow us to transfer our license there. And all that stuff, I'm assuming, costs money. Is there yeah. some kind of a capital campaign in the works? So we were really lucky to get some funding to start the process. So we were able to get about $90,000 from the California Association of Free and Charitable Clinics um, f- to allow us to do some of the renovation work. Alameda County, our, our supervisors in Alameda County were very helpful in getting us Measure A funding for purchasing the uh, equipment to go into the exam rooms and the counseling rooms and stuff like that. So that stuff's done. Um, we are definitely going to need community support and foundation support and maybe corporate support for getting into um, getting the dental stuff done, dealing with the air system, doing the ongoing maintenance of the building. We're going to be responsible for things like keeping the elevator running. We've never had to run an elevator before. Um, we have a hard enough time keeping the toilets working in this building. So I'm a little concerned about are we going to be able to do the elevator and, and all the other things that go along with this building. Um, so we're definitely going to have to be gearing up our, our fundraising. And if there are any people who want to contribute, um, they can always reach out to, again, info at berkeleyfreeclinic.org and and say that you're interested in getting connected with the people that do the fundraising for the clinic. Or um, uh, you can call our, our regular nine, line um, uh, in the evening and, and say that you're interested in talking to the folks about how you might be able to help. And I'll give some people some suggestions. You may not have money, but if you work someplace that does uh, matching or does corporate giving or will do that type of support, you know, that's the kind of connection that really helps us out. It's small amounts that really keep, you know, that build up to let us move forward. Oh, and I was going to give you the phone number. <laughs> it's area code 510-548-2570 is our, our main Berkeley Free Clinic number. Great. Before we wrap up, any last things that you think people in the community should know about the Gay Men's Health Collective in terms of services, in terms of opportunities? I think the one thing we haven't touched on is all the variety of services that happen here. There's a dental program, which is one of the only free dental clinics in the Bay Area that I know about. In Alameda County, there's Highland Hospital, long waiting lists, limited services. They do incredible stuff there, but it's just overwhelming. And uh, this is actually the greatest opportunity for people who want to go into the industry and volunteer. And uh, you learn a lot uh, by assisting. There's also the hepatitis program where people come in with hepatitis concerns. We don't actually treat hepatitis here, but we vaccinate to prevent it. There's women's internal genitalia services 
We do the TB testing. Right. We're one of the places that can get PB, people TB tests for volunteering or for work or for um, getting into a shelter. Um, so we're a place that offers that, one of the few places around. And there's an information referral service that we have, and they answer the phones, and when people need services that we can't provide here, they'll work to find a place that can, you know, help them, including giving out supplies to homeless people when it's cold and raining. We have a peer counseling collective, and people, they're doing that over the phone right now, but we're hoping, especially when we get in the new space, that they'll be places for them to get that back going in person. But that's another very popular program where peers work one-on-one um, with folks uh, to get through uh, uh, issues going on in their lives. We also help people with some enrollment into um, programs like food stamps, uh, helping people get enrolled for uh, insurance, health insurance and stuff. In terms of fun things, um, I think some of the fun I actually think volunteering is fun. So I think coming in and being with folks in a group and doing the work and seeing progress and seeing that you're helping other people could be really fun. Thinking back, we some of the outreaches that we did up at up in the counties, we went up into um I think it was Sonoma County and Solano County to do testing and your your father actually helped Fred helped us um get it set up and part of the reason was we were seeing people coming from those distances on Sunday nights to get tested with us. And we're like, why aren't you testing in your community? And they were like, there are no queer people, you know, running the services or they're not open on weekends or at nights. And we were like, let's go up there and we'll do testing at a bar or at a, at a uh, club. And we did, and it was really fun. Um, We haven't done that kind of thing in a long time, but after shift, sometimes we'll go out to dinner, um, which will be fun. In the old days, John has stories about doing the bathhouse outreach and everyone would uh, hang out. Oh, no, it would be meetings because uh, we have a length of time. You can't be in the bathhouse after after providing services for ethical reasons. But after they would have meetings, they would have health meetings for the whole area with uh, our program and other things. And the Steamworks would let folks hang out in the hot tub afterwards. So... Uh, I, but I, I really think that the volunteering here is fun, and we get a lot of people who come in because they want to make that connection and, and have that feel like they're giving back, but also meeting other nice people. Yeah, I totally agree. Just the people that I've met through the Gay Men's Health Collective, um, and then just the you're you're totally right, Scott, that the the opportunity to volunteer is so much fun, and it is so unique in the world of volunteer opportunities in that we are trained rigorously. I mean, obviously, it requires a good amount of <laughs> of coming in on Sundays and, you know, sacrifice on your part, but at the end of it all, you get to be, uh, you get to see clients yourself, you get to reassure, you get to counsel, you get to offer help and assistance, you get to present these client cases to um, a doctor or a nurse practitioner who has buys into the and kind of like the 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 ideals of the clinic by asking you, well, what do you think this is? And what do you think uh, the appropriate course of treatment is? And that's just such a unique opportunity um, that I'm so grateful to have. And, and every time, every Sunday I do come in, I just have a good time doing it. There's some, maybe some misconceptions um, from our name, maybe, in that um, I just would like to be clear that we don't 
just see gay or queer clients. We see anybody of any sexual identity. Um, we don't just see the uninsured. Um, in fact, we have tons of clients who come in who have insurance and who um, say that they are more comfortable or that uh, getting services with us or that, of course, you know, they're the wait list that they're, you know, it's impossible to get an appointment. They don't feel a connection with their doctor, etc. And then, of course, we don't just see um, air quoting here like men um, or people with penises. Like we will see anyone as a client who is um, male identified and that is that comes down to how we're trained and what sort of things we're trained on um, and in terms of what we offer now it's um, it, it's a lot of obviously sexual tra uh, sexually transmitted infectious infections testing but then also a ton of counseling um, we offer appointments to start people on prep or pre-exposure prophylaxis which is a pill that can be taken daily to avoid um, acquiring HIV um, and and we do HIV testing syphilis testing gonorrhea chlamydia some of the more upcoming and niche ones like Trick and MGen and MPOX and all these ones. Yeah, of course, these are all ones that people don't maybe not even know about. We do testing for HSV or herpes simplex virus, um, hepatitis testing. We vaccinate, as Scott said, against HPV and then hepatitis A and B for those who are eligible and then um, looking to offer flu vaccines as well. Yeah, cool. Well, Cam, Scott, and John, I want to thank you all so much for welcoming me back into this physical space, but also for all of the work that you all do here. And I want to also wish you the best of luck in this move that I'm hoping provides you some really incredible opportunities. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you so thank, thank you so much. Great seeing you, Jesse. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Rask and the Fort Knox Five. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis, that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam.